Don't you just love the lights? Don't you? Well, not too many of us enjoy how dark it gets as early as it gets. But the good news is, is every day it's getting brighter and, and staying longer. Okay, that, that's a good thing. But isn't it fun to be able to go to certain places or certain streets or, or certain places in the city and it just jumps out at you? The lights are all over. Well, somehow, Jesus tries to point to each one of us and tell us that he is this light of the world. Brighter than anything you've ever seen. More brilliant, more breathtaking. No matter what you have seen, this, this light came 2,000 years ago. And this light gives comfort and encouragement for the journey, literally, as we focused a few weeks back, gives you hope. Hope for the day. We also spent some time just looking at how light brings peace, brings shalom, and how wonderful that is for each one of us as, as well, we live quite hectic lives. And it is so good to be able to be at peace because of Jesus with God and with each other. Well, because of the light, our hope is sure, and, and we have peace with God and can have joy. In the midst of a sin-drenched world, a broken world filled with fractured bodies, minds, and relationships, yet God is faithful and is able to give us joy in this journey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you I thank you again that you loved us so much that in spite of, well, our rebelliousness, our selfishness, uh, thinking that we might know more than you, God, in spite of going our own way and doing our own thing, you continually pursue us. Because you know that a life without you, well, it's rather temporary. The happiness uh, is something that seems so short and almost like a vapor, a puff of smoke. But God, you've offered us more than that, and we are grateful. We look at the season, and we know there's a lot of commercialism. We know that there's a lot of distractions. We know that, Father. But somehow this story, this old story, this old, old story that's so familiar to so many of us, well, we get to focus on it each time this year. And we want to say thank you. Because as we even understand what that manger means and how much you care about us, we are overwhelmed by your grace. We just are. We are overwhelmed by, by how much you care about us. And even how we live. So Lord, would today... As we open up your word, would it do an amazing thing in each one of our hearts? Would it change us and transform us? Would we have a clear view of who you are? And Father, would you, well, give each one here hope and encouragement and strength for the journey? Lord, I'm pretty sure there's, there's folks here with all different kinds of relationships with you. I pray, Father, that wherever we are, you would meet us. 
and that you'd encourage us to take a step, a little step, a huge step, that we might be able to understand who you are. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Our story literally is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I've asked the Paulson family to be able to read these scriptures for us. You can follow along in your Bibles, on your flat screens, or up on the screen. Okay? Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jer Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed, supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities. And Judea, for a ruler will come, for you will be the shepherd for the, my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them from the time the first star appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back tell me, and tell me so I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. As many of you know the story, Mary and Joseph, this, well, young couple, made the 80-mile trip to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Joseph had to go. There was uh, a census that was being taken. And so he had to go to where he was from, where his ancestors were from. So this very, very pregnant Mary, a young Mary, a Mary that probably back then, again, was 13 or 14 or 15 years old, a very young teenager at best, who was great with child, who was literally about to give birth. Well, they left on this trip, and as they made the trip, think of it, 80 miles. Now, we all have pictures of what really happened, and we all have pictures of, of things in our mind that, um, well, over the years, we think are true. Well, let me just kind of point out a few things, and I hope not to burst your bubble in some ways, but just trying to be a little bit accurate. Mary probably didn't ride a donkey, okay? I'm just letting you know. 
Now, maybe in every story, in every bit of graphics, and everything I tried to find, Mary was always on a donkey. I'm just letting you know. But nobody knows that. She was a young woman. She was strong, and most of the time, folks walked. And literally, if you did have a donkey, it would just last a whole lot longer. They're not the easiest animals to control or even to use. So anyway, they made this trip. At probably the bare minimum, it was four days. They finally arrive in Bethlehem. And the Messiah was born, as we know, during King Herod's reign. And we also find in the scriptures that probably, at least at this time, King Herod was a little bit clueless of some things. He was a little bit understanding of some Jewish kind of laws. And he knew there was a talk of a Messiah, but wasn't exactly sure of what was happening. Well, Jesus was born, and we know that his bed was a manger. We don't know if it was a stable, probably was, or maybe a cave, or, or something where animals were, and, and that was, well, his first night. We also know that an angel came to a group of shepherds close by and revealed that the king was born. And so the shepherds hurried into Bethlehem, and they found Jesus, and they worshiped Jesus, and they left absolutely transformed, because that's what happens when you meet Jesus, even if he's a baby, telling everyone of this wonderful thing that happened. Hey, we've met the Messiah. We've seen the Messiah. The story seemed a little odd. Why, why would it be in a manger? But then we find out that there are some wise men. Wise men travel a great distance and ask Herod the question. The question is this, and probably took Herod a little bit by surprise, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Where, where, where is this Messiah? We believe the Messiah's been born. And again, this wise man, it's, it's hard to translate to be quite honest, it's probably a group of astrologers, stargazers. We don't know how many made the journey. There's always three in every, every graphic that you'll see, in every kind of situation or scenario that you find. There's always three wise men. And they're always, well, giving gifts. And you all have heard and looked at this, but, but realistically, these folks studied the stars. Probably came from great wealth. They probably knew that something was so very, very different in the sky. And they also had the scriptures. If you remember, Daniel was part of this arena and area. So maybe, maybe from Daniel and some of well, God's word had leaked into this area. When Herod heard this news, the scriptures say he was deeply disturbed. He probably didn't even know what to do, but right immediately what he said, hey guys, why don't you go, you go find the king, you go find the Messiah, and once you find him, why don't you come back, tell me where he is, because I really want to worship him also. 
So Herod sends his crew on. I'm not even sure they knew at that moment how long that journey would be because they've been focusing on a star. But we know that Bethlehem was just a little bit over five miles away. And that's where they went. The star stopped. I, I don't know how that worked. I don't know if there was a beam. It always looks good in movies. All right, that points you exactly to the right spot. I don't know if it kind of lowered or hovered. I, I don't understand because I don't actually study stars, but maybe there was some kind of a sign that said, hey, here it is. And the scriptures tell us that they stopped. And they pointed, this star pointed them to the child. And they were filled with joy. Now here comes kind of an exciting part, and I'm going to try to paint a picture for you. But the scriptures tell us that they entered the house, and they saw Mary. It doesn't say anything about Joseph at this moment. Maybe he was there, or came in later. But they entered this house and saw Mary and Jesus. Whoa, that should give you a little clue that, again, although this looks nice on cards and all the different things, probably so, the wise men didn't visit Jesus while he was in a manger. Probably, as you, again, most scholars will look at this and Jesus was probably 12 months old to maybe up to 18 months old at this time. For some reason, they stayed in Bethlehem. Not sure why. But by this time, they were in a home. Not in a castle. Not in some palace. But in a house. And these wise men, whether it's two of them, because it's plural, or three... Or maybe a huge caravan of people. Probably because of the distance they were traveling and probably because of the gifts which we're going to look at in a moment. They needed some protection. There were bandits. There were all kinds of things on these roads. And literally, so I'm thinking it was a, well, a small army trying to find this Messiah, this king. So they walk into this house. And, you know, so many of you remember back when your kids were a year old, or 14 months, or 16 months, or 18 months. Most of them did not act like a king. I'm just letting you know, right? I mean, they were curious and energetic, yet they clung to you and the parents often. All right. Toddlers, they begin to walk and they climb and they talk and they get into everything. And this was the king that the wise men saw. So they come in. They bow. They worship. And I've got to share with you, this scene was surreal. And, and literally, it had a shout. This gigantic caravan, or even if it's two, they come, dressed to the hilt, bearing the treasure chest, having at least one treasure chest filled with these gifts. 
We know that at this moment anyway, Mary and Joseph were rather poor. We don't know what kind of house they had, but, but probably very, very, well, a place that didn't have a lot of uh, pizzazz. How about that? So this caravan comes in. You know, it's trying to find a place to park. Trying to like, well, how do we get in? This is the house. And so this army fall down. And they wake their way in. They see Jesus. They look at Jesus. I'm sure some of them might have even paused. Maybe there was a word or two. Did we get the right house? This doesn't look like a king's house. In fact, that doesn't even look like a king's mother. Well, what is going on here? But you know what they knew? Somehow they knew. And they came in. And they saw this child. And they bowed. They bowed. They treated this king with respect. Mary knew that it was the king. Mary understood that this was God's son. In her head, remember, but she has had now a little bit of time to reflect on this. And I'm sure she was in shock. Oh my, it's real. It's real. This this is the king. Look how happy they are. Look at it. It says this star brought them joy. They, they are so grateful to be in Jesus' presence. Wow. They gave gifts to a king. A child. I said, well, Rick, why, why would anybody do this? Why would someone travel all this time, months and months and months, maybe even more than a year, to get to this place? And to give gifts. Well, they were so overwhelmed. They were so in awe and wonder that they brought gifts to honor the king. Now, they gave gifts that mean something. In fact, I think next year we may just be focusing on the wise men, the astrologers' gifts, and what they mean and how amazing they are and how well, much they tell us about the king. But just very quickly, gold. We don't know how much gold, but I'm pretty sure they didn't flip Jesus a coin, you know. Come, oh, well, here, here's a tip, you know. They were honoring so I, I'm assuming, again, the gold was there. But gold, it's a symbol of deity. Oftentimes, even idol makers, when they would make, well, other gods, they would make them out of gold. There was value. There was royalty. And they honored this king. Frankincense. Frankincense. Maybe when you walked in today, we had frankincense burning. Not really, but pretty close. Frankincense is this sap, and it smells just like evergreens, all right? It smells just like you're in a forest, and that's cool in itself. 
But the real meaning of frankincense, Frankenstein, oh boy, frankincense is not about the North Woods. It isn't. What's it about is that this was the incense that a priest would burn in the temple, in the tabernacle. And it was the, well, a role of a priest to be able to be the mediator between God and man. And these kings, these wise men, these folks from the east were proclaiming, oh, you are so worthy with their gold. And that, you know, you are going to be a priest. You are going to be a mediator. You are going to reconcile man and God. You're going to be the one. Now, what's really cool is they also gave this young couple myrrh. And no one knows exactly how much of any of this, but, but myrrh, at least at that time, was a spice used in embalming. They didn't really use the spice to embalm. What they did is use the spice to cover up the ugly smell of a dead body. All right. So that's what it was used for. Now, it was also had the idea it symbolized suffering and pain. So you look at these three gifts by some folks that traveled a long way, and they honored Jesus. Mary and Joseph received these gifts. Wouldn't it be something for them as a king, as, they, as people were bowing and worshiping? Oh, by the way, it's okay. We, we don't really need your gifts. We're fine. God is going to provide for us. Now, I'm pretty sure they thought God was going to provide for them. But I'm pretty sure that God used these gifts to take care of this couple for a long time. The scriptures tell us at this time that God appeared to the Magi in a dream and said, don't go back to Herod. Don't tell Herod about this. But the scriptures also tell us that an angel talked to Joseph. I'm going to go back to the scriptures here and in Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for that child and kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with a child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Oh, can you imagine so far, there have been some angels who have talked to both, well, Mary and Joseph. They've watched this unfurl for the next months. And eventually, they get all of these gifts. And that night, an angel appears and said, Joseph, Joseph, things are not going to get easy. You're going to need to leave. And what's so amazing, whether it's Mary or whether it's Joseph, their response is, yes, I'm going to listen to you, God. I'm going to do this. And I'm not saying that this is simple. I mean, we just kind of moved in. We just figured out the furniture. We just figured out all this kind of stuff. I just got a steady job, and now you want me to go to Egypt. But they leave. 
and they go to Egypt. They flee. We find out in the next verse, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, that Herod was furious. He's waiting for these wise men to come back. He's waiting to hear from them. And finally the news gets to him. Hey, you know all those wise men, that caravan? Well, they took off in a different way. What? And the scriptures tell us this egotistical leader sent soldiers to kill all of the Bethlehem boy babies who were two years old and under. What slaughter? Joseph and Mary and Jesus were on their way to Egypt. The scriptures then tell us that after a while, all right, after a while, God again talked to them and told them, well, you need to go back to Nazareth. It was safe. And the angel gave instruction, and Mary and Joseph listened, knowing it were, that it would be hard. Well, what do you mean it'd be hard, Rick? Wouldn't it be great to go back home? I mean, they were in Bethlehem for so long, and then they had to move to Egypt. They, they really haven't had the, the blessing of being around family and being back at Bethlehem. Well, those first few months were hard. The first night was exceptionally hard. But things probably didn't get much better in Nazareth, let me remind you. Although Jesus brought great joy to this young couple, just like any other healthy baby boy would bring. What? But they were obedient to God without knowing their future. How could they have joy? They had been living under Roman occupied land. They knew how harsh it was. They recognized that, that Jews in particular not, were not well thought of. But on top of everything, they had the added scrutiny of being perceived as sexually permissive in their Jewish community. So even though they were told to go back to Nazareth, they were going to come back to a lot of this and a kind of looking and wondering, oh, Joseph and Mary, yeah, okay, you're back here now. Little Jesus, isn't that nice? And over and over again, my guess is, is they would be judged and looked upon. And that seeing Jesus as illegitimate. Every time she went to go get water. Every time Joseph would swing his hammer. Every time people would look at them different. But in spite of that, this couple knew who God was. In fact, they had joy because of their focus on God's faithfulness. They had already experienced God's faithfulness over this past year or 18 months or, or even longer. We know that. We don't know how long they stayed in Egypt. But we know that they knew the scriptures. And in Psalm 126, starting at verse 1, the psalmist writes this, When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. 
We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for them. What joy. They looked back and they saw well, how God walked with Israel through the Red Sea. They saw how God provided a promised land. They saw even after a time of rebellion, when they were scattered all over, that the Jews were coming back to Israel. And there was such great joy when they listened and obeyed their God. And so all these years and all these stories, they knew God was faithful. And they trusted this God. They also had joy because of their focus on God's promises. Promises about himself. One of the things that's pretty interesting is that as just a few hundred years before this, when the Jews were coming back to Jerusalem, there was a, well, a wall builder named Nehemiah and there was a scribe named Ezra. And we have books that they had written and we get a little bit of a history and one of the things we find out in Nehemiah is that after they all got together and after the wall was built and after there was great celebration, what they did was open up God's word and begin to reveal to them God's precious promises. And you know what happened? The people started weeping. They couldn't believe it, that they really didn't listen to God, hadn't listened to God, and that God's word was so, oh, put on the side. It was so trivial. But then Nehemiah came and said, hey, just want you to know, I am so glad you're repenting. I am so glad that, that you are sorrowful, but today is a great day. Today is a day to celebrate God. Today is a day, yes, we hear his word, we understand, but I want you to see all that God has done. And I'd like you to celebrate that. And that was just one promise. But sometimes we forget about the promises and sometimes we forget about rejoicing in what God does. But I'm pretty sure Mary and Joseph didn't. They also knew the prophecies. In Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse 1 and 2, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He will send me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies come. Oh, what these two people understood is that the very one that they were rearing was the one that's going to fulfill this promise. That God in the flesh would come and he would begin to give us a picture of what the kingdom was all about and what well, obeying God is and the joy that it brings is exciting. And knowing that, hey, this is the Messiah, and knowing that eventually life is going to look really, really different. But if we're honest, we look at their, and, and their joy was not about happiness. It was about perspective in faith. Now, culturally, 
Christmas focuses on happiness, not on joy, just so you know. It focuses on happiness, not on joy. If you watch any kind of TV, all right, or drive down any highway where the bill... Could, could I go to the next slide, please? Um, what happens... What happens in each of our lives is that we begin to focus literally on what brings us happiness, okay? What brings us, well, fulfillment for a moment, not, not joy. You see, joy literally comes when we walk with the king, when we enjoy the company of the king. In Psalm 16, 11, the scripture says this, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You see, what we don't get oftentimes is that it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus that gives us joy. It's spending time with the King, learning who He is, so that we might learn how to treat other people that we might be able to understand what forgiveness is all about, that we might be able to love without expecting anything in return. Who does that? Who forgives people just because, well, it's the right thing to do? Who loves or gives gifts or graces or blesses people without expecting something else in return? Well, God does. And Jesus showed us this. You see, joy is the echo of God's life living in us. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? As you spend time with God, as you become more and more intimate, we begin to reflect God better to others. In fact, if you've been part of Crosspoint for any time, that's what we're on a journey doing. We're on a journey walking with God so that we might be able to reflect God well to others. When Jesus said that we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the world, he's not saying at all that we're the ones who people should have a relationship with. All he's really saying is that your relationship with the Lord Jesus enables you to be a mirror. You get to reflect who God is. So the light comes, dwells in every one of us so that we might be able to be light. You know, one of the things, I, I hate to say this, but you learn in Sunday school or, or kids' church or vacation Bible school, really, really young, you look at the word joy. And most, most of these unbelievable children's workers, they teach your kids, you know what joy is? Joy is Jesus, others, yourself, right? It's a perfect way to remember what joy is. 
And so your little ones come home and say, oh, I know what joy is. Joy is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Right? But you know what? Once you get past six or seven or seven, yeah, okay, a little later. Maybe sometimes we forget this acrostic. And life gets really busy, right? It gets really complicated. It really goes a little bit crazy. And we forget that joy is not about stuff or not about relationships. Not about possessions. But we get joy when we first spend time with God. Now, there's so many different folks here and so many different backgrounds, I get it. But, but one of the things that Jesus said really clear is that, well, he came to give life, abundant life, life that's full. But it's a life, again, that is given by God's grace. See, God so loved the world that he sent his son so that you and I might be able to have a relationship with him and might be able to, well, experience abundant life and joy today and eternal life later. And so I guess even though this is an acrostic that maybe you've heard a long time ago, I want to remind you again, there's a lot of truth here. A relationship with God allows you to love others well and to serve others and be less and less concerned about you. In fact, you can find out a person's maturity level real fast around Christmas time. Because if Christmas is really about you, you might have missed some things. And the only one that truly can change that, it really is, is is a relationship with Jesus. You see, wise men still seek him. And I think that is one of the most amazing bumper stickers that somebody can have on their car. Because sometimes we think that we're going to find joy or happiness or strength or perspective or power somewhere else. And we never will. The good news is that the Messiah came 2,000 years ago to restore a relationship and to begin to mend a broken world and that we can be part of that movement. That is amazing. And that's why Jesus came. You know, at the end of our service, we're going to offer a time for prayer. And maybe there is someone here, even very first time, and, and you might not know if you have a relationship with Jesus, or, or maybe you'd like to just ask some questions or get some prayer. We would love to talk to you today so that you might be able to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are part of God's family. And you can begin this relationship with God that will absolutely change everything that happens from here on out. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you once again for your grace in our lives. I thank you, Father, that you are our God and that you love us 
and that you care for us. Father, we've been deceived, and we think that joy comes, well, from making lots of money, having lots of friends, and having lots of stuff. Lord, it does make you happy for a while. But Lord, we love to be beyond that. We would desire deeply, Lord, that that you would be part of our lives and that you would change us from the inside and we would enjoy and bask in your presence. We pray, dear Lord, that we would treat others differently. And we pray, dear God, that as we reflect you to others well, that you would draw them to yourself and to a relationship with you. We do love you, Lord, and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.